0: we're hearing from. All
1: right, after we uh, have our prayer over the offering, Sheila Stevens is going to bless us with a tremendous song. You're going to love it. So if you have your gift, let's take it in your hand and lift it up to the Lord. Father, we thank you today as we join our hearts in faith for the provision of God as we give what is holy to you once we bring it to you, Father. Yes, we Lord. thank you for blessing and multiplying it yes, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God Sheila. bless
0: you. Give Sheila a hand as she comes.
2: So much to thank God for so many wonderful blessings, so many open doors. why I pray For every mountain, you brought me over for every trial.
0: Yeah. Amen. As they say, if I can't preach after that, I cannot preach. All right. It's so good. Thank you, Sheila, so much. What a great, great song. How many of you can amen the song in your real life? All right. I'm going to ask uh, Linda Threadgill. Would you come up, Linda? And I want you to welcome our missionary from Haiti. <clears throat> There we go. Come on, you can Hallelujah. do better than that. Let's welcome her.
3: Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
0: All right, you can be seated. I, Linda, you know, we've all been watching the TV, but we certainly have not. Um, you've been there 23 years. Get you and Jay gave your life to be in Haiti, and lo and behold, this earthquake hit now you've been through many many trials there 11 coup d'etats uh three year embargo three year embargo all kind but this probably is the worst and the most trying so share with turning point because we're listen this is a church with a heart and our heart when jay was here uh before any of this took place um I saw that our church has a heart for missions, big time.
3: Good Good for you.
0: (laughs) But tell us us a little bit about what happened, and let us hear your heart, your feelings. Just talk to the folks.
3: Well, first of all, I want to thank you for letting me be here this morning. It was not a planned trip, uh, but Pastor Jeff and Pastor Kathy have been our friends for many years, and they love us. And they've known us for many years, they know the work we do in Haiti, and because of that, they've, they've asked me to come today to try to put that heart into you because Haiti through the years has always been considered a very insignificant country, a country of voodoo, a country of uh, corruption, a country of this. But I want to tell you, it's a country full of wonderful, beautiful people who love God. And voodoo is no longer the stronghold in Haiti. It hasn't been for 10 years. All right. Many of us churches went up to the mountain where they had made the blood sacrifice unto the devil in 1802 and dedicated the island to Satan by blood sacrifice. We went up there with the blood of Jesus and we proclaimed that nation right. Christ. From that day forward, voodoo was not the same. It's not celebrated the same and its power has lost its hold over that nation. So I don't take credit for that. That's just Christians coming together, proclaiming, standing together and believing God for the same nation because we're all there to do the same thing, and that is to build the kingdom of God. This is not about Jay and Linda. This is about Haiti and the people of Haiti. No glory unto us. God called us there 23 years ago, and we just simply obeyed. They've done more for me, I think, than I've done for them because in the midst of all the years I've lived there and everything that I've seen and gone through... There's a strength in those people that make you feel strong. And they have taught me I can survive anything because they've had to survive so much. They get up in the morning, they get their buckets, and they go get their water no matter what's happened the day before. They go about their business the best they know how to do. And right now in Port-au-Prince, as devastated as it is, every night, all over the city, all you hear is people singing praises unto God. And on our compound, which was our school compound, we are right now housing over 2,000 people in tent cities. We're feeding them. We're praying with them. We're standing with them. Many have lost loved ones. We have children separated from parents, parents separated from children. We are just in survival mode right now, just trying to feed and and to encourage and, and to stand with those who have lost and... And um grieve with them and love them. Now I wasn't there when the earthquake happened. I'm out because I came, we came out for Christmas to be with our family, but I'm having a granddaughter on the twenty seventh of this month. Wouldn't miss that for the world. So this trip was about me coming through and just visiting some friends and, 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 and get you know and, and going to I'm leaving Monday to go to Baton Rouge to be there for Wednesday when my baby's born. She's coming Cesarean section. It's amazing today. You can plan it, you know, the day, the hour. We never had that back in the day. But uh, I, I have a side of me that is in such grief and a side of me that is in such joy. It's very conflicting. You know, I have my highs, I have my lows. The next to the last song we just sung was the last worship song that we played the last day I was in church in Haiti. And when I heard it, all of a sudden, Pastor, all I could remember is that's the last time I hugged the people I'll never see again. Now, I know they were Jesus, and I rejoice with that. But they were my sisters, and they were my brothers, and they were precious friends unto us. And so it still doesn't take away the pain that you feel of loss. I don't feel bad for them. I feel for us because now we, we don't have them in our lives, and they were valuable to us. But in that, we know they're with Jesus. Now, I want to give you a different perspective on this because this is the good side. You know, there's always a good side. God said, all things work for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so, in this tragedy, you're going to see great things happen in this nation. For 16 years, we have had a prayer service from 6 to 7 in the morning, an hour every morning, we have over 2,000 Haitians who come every morning and pray for a corruption to leave that nation for it to become a godly nation and that, that God would redeem and take this stain off of that country that has been upon it we pray for America, we pray for the President of the United States we pray for the American church we pray over you because you give to us, we want to give back to you and that's all we can do is pray. And t- 2,000 Haitians are believing for this nation that they love so dearly to become a nation unto God. And so we've got to rebuild the city now. The city is gone. The city of Port au Prince, the seat of corruption, the seat of Satan that has had control over that nation for all these years. The palace is gone. It's gone. I just want to say to you, there's a time in your life when walls need to come down and there's times when walls need to be built. Right. Walls of wickedness have come down in that nation. Right. So even in the midst of grief, we're going to rejoice because now we have the chance to rebuild. No more stinky buildings. No more idleness. No more leaning telephone poles that you don't know if it's going to fall in your car Uh at any moment. We're going to go back and build straight pole lines and clean streets and new buildings. We're going to have a new government that's going to love their people. That's going to give to the nation and quit putting the money in their pockets. (laughs) We're going to proclaim Jesus Christ until the day we die. People all over that nation are grieving, but yet they're praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of their life. And now they have a new perspective of life. Because for many years, life in Haiti was seeing another person die was just like going to the refrigerator and getting a glass of tea to us. Because death is so prominent in that nation. And even now, you're hearing rumors of There's looting, there's this. It's not everywhere. It's pockets. It's just a pocket here, pocket there. But those Haitians are sharing their sheets with each other, their clothes with each other, and whatever they have left, they're giving to one another. And it's bringing a unity in that nation we've never seen before. So yes, there's a lot of sorrow, but a greater day is coming because we're Christians. And no matter how dark the world gets, we get brighter. That's
0: right. We get
3: brighter. <laughs> this makes us stronger. Remember that story still, Matt No Yours ladies? How many of you love that movie? I watch it every time it comes on. I cry every time. But there's one saying in this movie that I need to say to you. That which does not destroy us will make us stronger.
0: That's right. For your
3: life, in your life, whatever destruction comes, God will rebuild much better than what you had before. And I feel like 16 years of prayers are finally going to have a chance to come to pass. And it's going to be for his glory. Now, Haiti's going to be known as a nation unto him, unto God, because they're not telling you. And I think. Cooper Anderson is reporting very honestly on the ground. And he even will tell you all over the city at night, all you hear is people singing and praising God. And so God is so good because all of us have had tragedy. All of us had lost people we love or had bad things happen, even though we're good people. Mm -hmm. But, oh death, where is your sting? You know? And so, I grieve because I'm not there on the ground, helping my husband. Because I wanted to be there, my daughter was there with my husband when it happened. I didn't hear from them for two days. I just had to put my faith totally into God, and and, and because there was just no way you can get a telephone call through. There was just no way. And when I heard his voice and I knew that they were okay, then I said, "Okay, now what about our people?" And then that's when he started telling me I had to spend yesterday digging 45 students, Bible school students, second year year Bible class out of the rubble. We lost one of our pastor's wives. She was my dear friend. We lost um, really good, one of our most faithful members of your church that you know, pastor, you know him for years and years and years. And they're the ones that You can count on being in the congregation Mm -hmm. every Sunday. They never leave you. They stay with you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And we lost her, and my husband had to do her funeral. And so he's done three funerals this week, and my husband doesn't like to do funerals. But he's had to. We buried a spiritual son who I'm his son's godmother. And now we have to take care of them. Now, this is my challenge to you, and the thing that I need you to understand. Twenty-three years of our life has been invested in that nation. Do you think we're gonna quit now? No. No, we're not. But we've lost all of our income. Income's gone. Our income from our church, our church building was destroyed. We'd gotten to a place where the church was paying its own bills, paying its own staff. That income's gone. I had I have Morningstar Christian Academy, which is an American school to reach the middle and upper class of Haiti, which was the mandate God gave me many years ago. Because most missions in Haiti, all missions to Haiti are for the poor. But God said, who's going to reach my, reach my middle and upper class? Because they don't know Jesus. And they could die and go to hell. And I, 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 we did it through a school, opening a school that would teach American education because most of them are going to come to America and go to college anyway. They're from rich families, middle class families, who can afford it. And so for 16 years, I've been able to minister to these kids, and I feel like we're raising up a new generation of youth that's going to break the curse off of their families and because they're learning the ways of God. But in that, I just want to say, our compound has been damaged. That's where we're housing. We have our tent city now. It's not a school anymore. It's just a place of survival. God's been good. The supplies are starting to come in. But we have a $70,000 U.S. budget a month. And we've lost the two incomes that helped us pay that budget. Now I have a question. We have, I can't tell you the exact number of pastors that are on our staff that we give a salary to every month. 24, maybe. Well, actually, it's more like 30-something, because we have 12 pastors on staff in Port-au-Prince. We have 25 planted churches all over Haiti. Every month, the, the province pastors come in on a, the first Tuesday of every month, and we have, they have a big staff meeting. And we give them a salary every month to supplement their churches because the churches are so poor. And so we got, are we going to take that salary away from them now? How will they live? And so we have 72 employees. Do we fire them and say, you no longer have a job? Do we leave them? Do we forsake them? No. We still have to raise $70,000 a month to cover the expenses. That We have a $20,000 a month mortgage. That if we lose that property, we've lost everything we've worked for. And the owner that owns that property is a corrupt man and a wicked man. And he wants that property back. He wants us to fail. He wants us to leave. Because we took that property from not having much value and restored it and now it's worth three times more than what it was when he gave it to us.
0: And you know what, Linda? We're going to pray right now. We're going to ask the Lord to, to help you. And you know what? He's not going to let y'all down. I, I know either. he's not. That's easy for me to say. but last week we took up an offering and I'm trying to I want to get it right down to the penny because a lot of the folks don't know what we took up and it just amazed me. $20,500. $20,500.
2: Hallelujah.
0: So, let's stand together, everybody. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to give this to Linda. And they've they've put up a tent that'll take care of 5,000 to 6,000 people that'll seat them. But it's just a tent with nothing in it. So what we're going to do, we're giving this money to... To buy the chairs, the electricity, the stage, the sound. And we're going to pray that God stretches every dollar. But here's the good thing. You can know what you gave. It ain't going to go through an organization that's going to skim off of it. But every penny is going straight. I'm not calling you a horse. I'm saying straight to the horse. You know, talk, go to the horse's mouth. Take it. It's going straight. <laughs> Where it's going straight to you. So that nothing can happen to it. Amen. So let's take hands together across this congregation. And we're going to pray for Jay and for Haiti, Linda. Father, thank you for being with Haiti. Thank you for being with them right now in this tragedy. Thank you for being with Jay and Linda and all the staff. We sow this seed and we pray that you will use it, bless it. And Lord, let it be a blessing to them and stretch every dollar as far as it can go. Yes. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll give Linda a hand. and Thank you, everyone.
3: We love you. God bless you.
0: Amen. Thank you. Let's sing as we get ready to get into the Word. Sing this with me now. As we get ready to get into the Word today. God. We lift our hands and sing, He answers prayer. He answers prayer. Oh, I know that He does. Let's put put that passage up there, and let me share with you briefly today on the subject when God doesn't make sense. How many of you can say there's been a time in my life, frankly more than one, where God didn't make sense? What I thought was going to happen didn't happen. What did happen is not what I expected, and it didn't make sense. Well, let's look at this story. Uh, This is Jesus talking to a crowd of people, and he's discussing a tragedy, an accident that happened in his day where a tower fell. Now, let's see what he says. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? He asked the crowd, were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? Because this is what the people were saying. That that was the scuttlebutt. Well, they had to have done something wrong for this tragedy to befall them. No. What did Jesus say? Say it loud with me. No. No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So let's pray together, Father, thank you for your word, comfort us in Jesus' name, and thank you for the hope that lives in us, amen. You can be seated. Let me talk to you briefly about this, because Jesus' is dealing here with something that we're all familiar with. First of all, an accident had happened, and this accident made people begin to talk this way. Well, those 18 people that that tower fell on must have done something wrong. They were like Job's counselors who went to him continuously and said, What would you do? Surely there's some secret sin in your life. Why is it that this has befallen you, Job? Why is it this tower fell on those people? What did they do? Because there had to have been something or this would not have happened to them. Jesus said, You're reading it all wrong. They didn't do anything worse than you. They were not guilty of anything that you're not. So what they were doing is they were making the assumption that we still do today. If somebody gets a bad report from the doctor, we immediately want to say, well, there's something in their life, and that's why that happened to them. You know what Jesus says? No. Unless they smoked. <laughs> but you're in a, a car wreck. Did you do something? No. See, we've got to get out of this mindset that when something bad happens to somebody, we immediately think they did something. Jesus said, no, they didn't do anything worse than you. And if you don't repent, the day is going to come that you're going to perish as well. So Jesus leveled the playing field right there. And what the people of Jesus' day were grappling with is the million-dollar question, the most asked theological question in the entire world. And here it is. Why do... Bad things happen to good people. That's the million-dollar question. If something bad happens to somebody, we say surely they deserved it because, see, God has wired us to understand justice. He has written his law in our hearts, and that law says if you this, then that will happen to you. If you do good, you will be blessed. If you do bad, you will be cursed. We have a sense of justice and That's accurate to a point. But it doesn't mean that every time something bad happens to somebody, that that is justice taking place in their life. That God is dispensing justice for something they did wrong. Because the fact is that in our world, bad things happen to good people who didn't necessarily do anything wrong. Of all the questions that trouble the people of God, none is greater than this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I was seeking God, praying, pressing into Him, reading my Bible, and then this happened. What did I do? You didn't necessarily do anything. Or how about this one? Why do the wicked prosper while the righteous seem to suffer so often? That question drove David to the point of uh, the precipice of his faith. And he wrote a psalm about it. Why are you blessing them? Why does it seem like good is happening to bad people and bad is happening to good? This feels topsy-turvy to me, God. I don't understand it. Or how about this question? If God really has the power to stop human suffering, why didn't he use it? If I'm God and I have all power in all the universe and I see an earthquake about to strike Haiti... Or a tsunami about to strike Indonesia. Or a hurricane about to strike New Orleans. Why don't I exercise my power, my omnipotent power, and stop it before innocent people are hurt? If, if that's if, Why doesn't God stop it? I don't understand. One headline from yesterday read like this, quote, A lot of people in Haiti probably think God has forgotten them. Eventually, this, these questions, particularly the million-dollar theological question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Eventually, that question will more than likely become more personal for everybody in this room. Why did my husband leave me after 20 years? I was praying. I was doing right, trying to be the best wife that I could. Why did my husband leave? How about this one? Why did God allow my child to die in a car wreck? We were praying. We were seeking God. I don't understand it. If God is good, how could he let an earthquake kill innocent children? George Barner, the pollster, did a poll recently, and in his survey he asked this question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And the number one response was this. Why is there pain and suffering in this world? If you're a good God, why don't you stop it? Why do you allow the pain, the suffering, the tragedy, the heartache, the tears, the sorrow? Why do you allow that, God? And that response doesn't surprise me at all, having pastored for over a quarter of a century. I've heard that so many times, and I've asked it myself. It's one of the oldest questions in the world. One writer called it, and this is a great quote, the question mark that turns like a fish hook in the human heart. Why do bad things happen to good people? The psalmist often cried out. You'll find this in the psalms repeatedly. Lord, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you so far away? Why aren't you hearing me? And sometimes we can't help wondering and even asking God ourselves: why me? Why now? Why this? Mary and Martha asked Jesus when he walked up on the scene, when Lazarus, been, their brother, had been dead for four days. They said, Why? Where were you? If only you'd been here earlier. I don't understand, Lord. They were struggling with this very issue. Why did this death happen to my good brother who brought you into his house, who fed you, who loved you, who fellowshiped with you? Where were you, Lord? Here's the truth about our world. Evil always seems to be lurking just around the corner, waiting in the shadows, waiting to pounce like a mountain lion. Evil. Evil. The Bible says evil is crouched at the door, waiting to pounce. Right when everything seems to be going well, an accident happens. Cancer invades. Disaster strikes. And suddenly the question of why comes front and center. Because we are people of faith. The question of suffering is even... The number one argument for atheism. Let me tell you the truth about professing atheists. Most people who have given up believing in God do not do so because of some philosophical argument. But because their hearts were broken by something that happened to them or someone they loved. And they didn't know how to make sense out of it. And they came to the conclusion if God were real, this would not have happened. Understandable, but a wrong conclusion. Now, as the long process of clean and recovery begins in Haiti, let me tell you, this question, this why is going to be standing in the sky like a rainbow facing everyone. Now, I want to I answer it. I want to give you three answers to the question of why. I'm going to give you a really bad one. Then I'm going to give you an inadequate one. And then I'm going to give you the biblical answer of why. Why is there so much suffering? Why do the righteous suffer? Why do good people seem to suffer? Here's the worst answer first. Are you ready? The worst answer that we hear all the time when there is a tragedy and the news folks are on it quickly and you'll hear it, you'll hear it spoken over and over again is this one. Well, it was just a matter of fate, just a matter of chance, just a matter of luck. Wrong place, wrong time. Things just happened. Calamity comes to all of us, period. There is no reason for it, nothing behind it. We are an insignificant speck in an accidental world. We are the products of evolution. We live in an impersonal, uncaring, apathetic universe where stuff just happens. Bad answer. As a matter of fact, that's no answer at all. And I'm going to tell you why it's no answer at all, because it doesn't comfort, it doesn't heal and it does not inspire hope. And at Turning Point Church, let me tell you something. We believe in hope because we believe in God. And we are not as those who, who sorrow with no hope. Our God is a God of hope. So you've got to go a step further than this answer that things just happen. Let me tell you something, folks. Nothing in God's universe just happens. Well, then let's come to the second answer, the good one but not the best one. Now, this answer goes back to Adam and Eve. All the way back to the Garden of Eden and our first parents. God gave them a choice. And the choice was to obey him and be blessed or to disobey him and lose it all. So there was one tree, one thing they could not do. And being people, they did it. And they ate of the forbidden fruit. They touched what God told them not to touch. Did what he told them not to do. They made the wrong choice. And life is all about choices. And every choice has a consequence. Where you are today is primarily a result of the choices you have made in life. You can't make a choice and not have a consequence any more than you can throw a rock into a pond and not have ripples. There are consequences to every choice. They made a choice. And as a result of their choice, here is the reality and the truth. Sin and suffering enter the human race entered the DNA of every human being. And every one of us are experiencing the consequences of Adam and Eve's choice. According to the Bible, Adam's sin didn't just impact him. It touched every single one of us. We have all suffered because of Adam's choice. And when I get to heaven, I'm finding him first, and I'm kicking him in the shins. I want to say, dude... This one time you shouldn't have listened to your wife. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is because the fountainhead of the human race, Adam, sinned. The Bible says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Death came through sin. The consequence of sin is death. God never intended for you and I to look down into a wooden casket at the face of a loved one with our hearts broken, weeping, and saying that forever, or at least seemingly forever goodbye. That was never God's plan. Death was not a part of His creation. Death came from sin. The wages of sin is death. The Bible is telling us that in this way, death came to all men because all sin. We have all sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. We have all turned aside. We have all become filthy in God's eyes. We have all broken His commandments. None of us can stand before Him and say, I am clean. It means that when Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam disobeyed, you disobeyed. When Adam fell, you fell. When Adam died, you died. And we all suffer the consequences of what he did. All the suffering, all of the pain, all of the tragedy, this was not a part of God's creation. The consequences of Adam's sin and our sin is death, pain, and suffering. If you choose to walk off in sin, I guarantee you the consequence will be death and pain and suffering. You cannot sin with impunity. Your sin will find you out, your sin will bring its own repercussions Adam sinned, never dreaming he could not have dreamed and that's the way the devil always does it he never shows you the consequences he only he only embellishes on the immediate gratification and if only adam could have seen down the tunnel of time to the millions and billions of tears and death and heartache he would have told eve no thank you and she would have told the devil no way We all suffer the consequences of what he did. Paradise gained and it was paradise. Became paradise lost. In a moment, it was gone. They were driven from the garden. Driven from the presence of God. And Genesis 3 informs us that not only did it impact the human race, but it impacted all of creation. Please understand, the creation which is beautiful and glorious and that I love and I appreciate all the time What you see out there is not exactly the way God made it. It came under a curse because of God's sin or or, or Adam's sin. Read Genesis 3. The created order slipped into disorder. The created order went into chaos. Instead of the lion and the lamb lying down together, the lion became the lamb's mortal enemy. Before the fall, there was no carnivorous activity. There was no slaughter of species on species Sin affected everything. This is why Romans 8.22 says, All creation groans to this present age waiting for the day of redemption. The animals are groaning. The insect world is groaning. I know this is hard to understand and believe, but the Bible says the birds are groaning. Everything God made, creation itself, the planet is heavy under the load of sin and groaning for the day of redemption. So the good but not the best answer says that the world is the way that it is because we humans messed it up. And there's some theological truth to that. There's no question. Sin messed it up. Guess what? There were no hurricanes and there were no earthquakes and there was no cancer in Eden. In other words, here's what the second answer says. If Adam had not sinned, Haiti would not be in a shambles today. Now, that being theologically true to a great extent, it's not the best answer. Because here's what it sounds like. It sounds like God is basically saying to you and me, you messed it up, you clean it up. You're on your own. Hey, man, you messed up. You you go clean it up. That's not the best answer. Yes, there are repercussions from the sin of Adam. But the best answer is the third answer. And I believe this with every atom of my being. The best answer is he... Joined us in our suffering. I want you to catch this today. You never hurt alone. He joined us in our suffering. So we are not alone when an earthquake strikes or a hurricane strikes or cancer strikes or a heart disease strikes or some accident takes place. We are not alone alone 2,000 years ago this is the good news and you know that I can't preach without preaching some good news here's the reason we ought to have hope today and I like what Linda said Linda you about preached you almost took over and preached she did better than in the first service she's this and this and this the preach came on you and I'm glad to see that Linda now guess what I'm going to pick up where she left off 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven for the indignity of a borrowed stable. He joined us. God wrapped himself in skin, invaded planet earth. He gave up eternal light to be born in dismal darkness. He laid his glory aside and came to this dusty, dirty planet. He walked out of the ivory palaces and entered a world of woe. He joined us in our sorrows. He joined us in our pain. He joined our race. He took our nature. He entered our space. He ate with us. He drank with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. And He didn't simply... Die with us, but Jesus Christ died for us. Look at that cross and realize that Jesus Christ hanging on that cross is God's answer to every dilemma, every problem. Every pain, every disillusionment, every disappointment, every letdown, every loss, every defeat, any agony, any pain, any heartbreak. Jesus dying on the cross is God saying to you and to you and to you and to you, I love you. The cross pointing up towards heaven, and then out towards the human race, pointing up to God, pointing out to you and to me. The cross said, from heaven, I love you. From heaven, I die for you. From heaven, I really do feel your pain. I'm joining you. And guess what? He not only died on the cross, but I'm not going to leave him there. Easter is just a few weeks away, so let me warm up a little bit. Easter is just a few weeks away, so let me just warm up a little bit. When Jesus rose from the dead, and he did. If he didn't, let's go home and watch the rest of football season and give it all up because there's nothing to praise God for. But Jesus did not stay on the cross and He did not stay in that tomb. Your Savior and my Savior on the third day, fresh breath entered His lungs. He sat up and said good morning. He walked out of that tomb, the Lord of life, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that's why we have hope. When He rose from the dead, He reversed the curse. He broke the chains. He tore down the bars. And Jesus set in motion a chain of events that will one day mean an end to all earthquakes, all hurricanes, all cancer, all suffering, all heart disease, all depression, everything that plagues and drags us down. I have one answer to a world looking at Haiti and saying, where is God? I'm going to tell you where he is. Here's where he is on a hill far away. Stands an old rugged cross. You can still look back there. Do you see it? There it is looming in the sky. Two crosses on either side. Do you see that man dying on that middle cross? on that hill far away, on Golgotha's hill. Do you see Him there, bleeding, panting, dying, rejected of men, despised? He's the emblem of suffering and shame. Naked, rejected, cast off. But I love that old cross where the dearest and the best, there's no better than Jesus, No better man ever trod human earth. No better man ever opened his mouth and said anything. No better man ever looked another human in the eye. He was the God-man, the man-God. He was without sin. He was pure as pure can be. He was the dearest and he was the best. None can stand anywhere near him. And he died for a world of lost sinners. You want to know where God is? He's on that cross. He's on that cross. And let me just tell you what's on that cross. I don't care where you are today. If you're hurting, run to the cross. Because at the cross you were healed. At the cross is your wisdom. At the cross is your guidance At the cross is your hope. In the cross is your joy. At the cross, you will find yourself. At the cross, you will find your future. At the cross, you will find your destiny. At the cross, you will find the answers to life. At the cross. My message is, if you want to know where God is, he's on that cross and he's saying, I love you. I love you. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes on Him would not ever perish, but have life everlasting. And that is our hope. We cannot escape suffering. It comes to every one of us again and again. And Jesus never said, if you receive me, I will stop all of your suffering. No, here's what He said. You can either suffer without Him or you can suffer with Him. Because if you're, if you're willing to suffer with Him, and I'm going to tell you, I see people... Fairly regularly walk away from God because of some tragedy. They say, Where was God? I don't understand. They walk away. Let me tell you something. When you experience suffering, you don't run away from Him, you run towards Him. You don't turn from Him, you turn to Him. You don't ignore Him, you seek Him. You don't draw far away from him. You draw near to him because he is waiting with open arms to gather you up in your suffering and quit asking why and don't let the tyranny of if only rule your life. You may never understand this side of heaven, but when you don't understand God's hand, trust God's heart. He has not forsaken you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. You are tattooed on the palm of his hands. God will never forget you and he's with you in your pain. If you're doubting, run to the cross. If you're in pain, run to the cross. If you're guilty, run to the cross for there your load of sin will fall off of you. God's answer to your pain and Haiti's pain is not a sermon or a theory or a book. It is a person. When I have hurt, And the enemy has said unto me, why don't you walk away? I've always said, no, I must do the opposite. I must go to him. And I have found that he scoops me up in his arms. He speaks comfortably to me and gives me his word. He rocks me to sleep. The Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. He is there in my pain. I don't understand it all. I can't explain it all. But I can tell you he's joined us. And he didn't leave us to ourselves. God's answer is a person. Jesus Christ. Can we stand together? This young man... That was Jay's spiritual son. Linda was telling me about it more specifically in between services. And he mentored him. He was his spiritual son. And he was buried in this rubble. And for three days they were talking to him. Buried down there. He sounded fine. One day he said, I want some hot soup. So they were able to get that down to him. But when they moved the rocks and moved him out, he went to be with the Lord. The very thing that had had entombed him was keeping him alive. Now you think, you look at that and you go, where was God? I'll tell you where he was. I know this because I know him. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit was with him every minute down under those rocks. The Lord Jesus was speaking comfortably to him. Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world, even if you're buried in rocks. And now, he's with the Lord. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Now, I don't know where you are in life, where you're hurting, what the issue is. But can I encourage you to do something? Don't let it cool you to God. Let it it cause you to burn even brighter. You don't have to understand it all. You may never. All you need to know is he's joined you. I'm going to ask us to pray a moment, can we? Lord Jesus, I pray for every hurting person in this sanctuary that you will bring great comfort in the Holy Spirit, great peace. And, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of this terrible unspeakable tragedy you were with every one of those children and you were with this young man and everyone that knew you knew your voice and knew your presence and right now Lord in our suffering we say Lord we will draw near and we will listen to you and we will let you speak to us take a moment and do that would you Give Him your marriage. Give Him your psychological pain. Give Him that affliction of your body. Give it all to Him. And say, Lord, I'm going to let you love me. I'm just going to let you love me. And carry me to the other side. Let's do it. I surrender all. Can you lift your hands and just sing it to the Lord? I, I
2: surrender
0: all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. All. Well, if you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise. And let me get, uh, come on up, Kathy. And I'm going to ask our life leaders to make your way down. Would you, life leaders? And everybody, hang tough for just a minute. Please, as little movement as possible. You'll get out of the parking lot. And let me get the life leaders to come down and just line up and turn and face the folks.
1: Kristen, come on up. And While the life leaders are coming, I want you to meet, if you don't already know, this is Kristen Klupp. Kristen does a great job overseeing our preschoolers, our early childhood. And they have something special. Fun. Yes, Amen. So everybody that has kids under five, no Kristen, but if you don't, this is her. Tell us what y'all are doing this Saturday. It sounds like a lot of fun. It is. Well, next Saturday at 10 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, we are going to have a variety of pottery pieces that you and your family can paint. We'll also have some heart-shaped pieces, and we'll also have pieces that you can paint your child's hand or footprint on for a special keepsake. For more information, check out the table outside of the early childhood area, and above here are some examples, too. All right, so ten o'clock Saturday, everybody's invited to come and bring their kids. This is something they're going to do with the kids, and in um, the Fellowship Hall. All right, so everybody make a invited. memory. So y'all have, have sounds like a great time. I, I'm going
0: to embarrass. All right, thank you, Kristen. My, I'm going to embarrass my son. Raise your hand, Jeremy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I still have I still have in my office a little thing, Jeremy, maybe when he was a little kid with
1: popsicle with sticks. with popsicle sticks. <laughs>
0: and it's got his little handprint. Yeah. And I look at it and I go. Oh <laughs> But I kept it all these years, so yep. make a memory. Yeah,
1: so that'll be fun this Saturday. So everybody's invited. Come and bring a friend. Bring somebody in your area, in your neighborhood maybe, that doesn't go to the church, and they'll have a good time. This is some of our life leaders and our assistant life leaders, and they're going to be meeting tonight in homes at 6.30 p.m. in Tarrant County, Parker County, and Johnson County. So we encourage you, find a group near you. This is where you learn and, and become a part of the heartbeat of Turning Point Church, and it's where you'll be ministered to in the good times and the bad, and they'll walk along beside you just like Jesus. Amen.
0: Let's pray for them. Lord, we just give every group to you tonight, and we pray that you'll give them great, great services, great meetings, great times in those homes, great fellowship and food and connection. We pray that, Lord, the family will be drawn closer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen carefully before they return to their seats. I want to receive people who need to make Turning Point their church home. You know, you need a church home. Kathy and I have always, before we were pastoring, we were always planted in a church home. And the Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord are the ones that will flourish, not the visitors. Visitors have no time to get roots. You can visit a while, and that's understandable, but eventually God wants to plant you. Well, how do I know, Pastor Jeff, that this is my church? You feel at home, you're fed. You witness to it, and it just feels I believe God gives us a peace. And so if you want to make this your church home, as soon as we dismiss, I'm gonna stand right down here and I wanna receive you. If you're a single, if you got your family with you, uh come down and we wanna receive you and bless you and pray with you and uh, assimilate you into the church. So and if you
1: need help finding a group, um somebody will be out in the lobby to help you find a group near you, a life group.
0: All right? All right, we're going to count to three and shout, God is good. Go out and know that hope is yours through Him. Are you ready? One. Don't miss Wednesday night. We start Genesis this Wednesday night. Three. Amen. Have a good one.